1: 12-pack radio. Get excited, y'all.
2: Hey, it's Bryant with 12-pack radio, and this is part two of our podcast. The part one portion was a about 40-minute conversation about the Carl Durrell hire at Colorado. If you haven't listened to that, definitely tune in and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Tuna Radio, et cetera. We want to get that out immediately, so we split this podcast into two. Here's our second portion where we talk about our Pac-12 coaching rankings and a little bit of Pac-12 basketball, and enjoy. All right, we're back. Let's talk some head coaches here and where the conference sits in general. Let's go from the top to the bottom. Let's rank the new hires that have happened this year in the Pac-12. We have Carl Durrell at Colorado. We have John. Um, nope. I'm sorry. Jimmy Lake at Washington. Nick Rolovich at Wazoo. And that's it, right? We just had three this year. Yep. Okay. Max, what do you think? What would you do? One, two, three.
0: I, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go Rolovich one because I think that Washington State was put in a really tough situation. And given given like the fact that Leach leaving for Starkville was a little unexpected, even though he, he seemingly flirts with jobs every offseason, but the fact that he actually went for, for it and then that they were able to get such an accomplished coach in Rolovich versus the Peterson retirement was shocking. But Jimmy Lake seemed destined to uh be the successor there. And so I, I think Lake is, is a really strong coach. But I give Washington State credit for basically pulling a rabbit out 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 of the hat um just because of the difficult situation they were in. So one Rolovich, two Lake, three Durells for me. All
2: right, what would
1: be the order for you, Rap? I mean I'd put, I mean if we're uh, if we're ranking like the higher, I mean it's it, Rolovich is the better high. I mean Washington knew who they were going to get. Um, I would, if I had to pick between the head coaches, I would take Jimmy Lake over Nick Um
2: If
1: I was ranking them that way,
2: okay. But yeah, Carl
1: Durell is definitely is, is three in either way. You would splice that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I think the one thing to mention, and I do want to like hedge our bets a little bit here. Everybody just laughed at the Herm Edwards hire. And, oh, my gosh, this guy hasn't been in college forever. And, you know, there is something to be said for having your act together and being able to run a program and having a culture. And that could happen at Colorado with Durrell. We just don't know. Right. So there is a situation you can see where Colorado gets a really solid staff, like you mentioned, Max. Durrell's a really strong like man of character and and is willing to put in the time on the recruiting trail and really instills an idea and a and a direction for Colorado and Colorado's good so I don't I don't want to like discount that that could happen but at this point if I were to rank them I would go Jimmy like first and that's just because Washington had a plan for this to happen like. What, you know whether or not they actually knew that Peterson was going to retire. I would assume that he probably gave him a heads up. But for a top tier program to have a seamless transition effort right after that coach drops, you know, drops out. I thought that was really impressive. Like the press conference happened. He was already there. The recruiting class was there. Like the team likes the, the coach. He has, it's a coach that is very well regarded on the defensive side of the ball. It just seemed like everything was great except for his offensive coordinator. So we'll find out there. Um, but I would do Jimmy Lake. I would do Rolovich and I would still do Darrell um, in that order. But Max, I'm curious who you think um, let's talk about the top three coaches in the conference in general. Um, outside of these new hires, let's set them aside because we don't quite know where they're going to be, but of the coaches that have had a year in the conference, who would your top three be in the PAC 12?
0: Ooh, this is, this is tough because I mean, Peterson and, and David Shaw would, would I feel like be one and two on everyone's list for the past few years, but obviously Peterson's gone and Shaw's been on a bit of a downswing. Um, I think I, 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 just because of what he's done at Stanford overall, I still, and, uh, and I also really, really hate his, his, his uh, cons- really ultra conservative game management, but I'm still going to go. David Shaw one. Oh no. <laughs> I know. And then ah, uh, oh. do I really go
2: Oregon fans are throwing a brick through their window right now as they're listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> I, can, oh.
0: I honestly, if, Christobal does it again this year. I I'd be I mean, and and I think he will just because his staff is incredible. But I guess the, the Oregon yeah, Oregon just has all the Nike money and it just feels like that they're, that they're the one co- uh, team in the conference that's like actually trying to win championships with their hires <laughs> and, and their and they're recruiting too. I mean, their recruiting's outstanding. So uh man, this is this is this is harder than I thought it would be. Um, and, and yeah, and the fact that like Chip Kelly wouldn't even be in the top half of our uh, coaches in conference anymore is, is insane too. Uh, okay. So I'll go Shaw one. I'll go Cristobal two. Is Jonathan Smith really number three? No,
2: you got to put Whittingham
0: there, right? Well, no, I was going to say oh, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, or Wilcox. Yeah, no, no. Okay. No, 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 oh, oh, actually, no, I totally spaced on Whittingham. My bad. Okay, so it's Shaw one, Whittingham two, and uh, Cristobal three for me.
2: But I, I like where your head's at with Smith being in that in that upper tier. Rob, what would be your one, two, three?
1: So
0: I want to be clear. I
1: grade on a curve. So like, <laughs> like winning winning ten games in Seattle and winning ten games uh, at Washington State are different things. <laughs> like yeah. Those are what are those? Is harder. So I would say, like, my, my number one coach in the, in the conference right now is Kyle Whittingham. I think the Utah job, I mean, so, like, compared to, yes, Cristobal, you know, beat him this year, um, you know, and then uh, certainly in the short run, you know, had that over him. But the Utah job is just a tougher job. Oregon has many more resources, um, a lot more flash and sizzle, much better recruiters, much better staff. Uh, what Kyle Whittingham is able to do with the resources that he has given at a non-traditional power like Utah is, I think, you know, and without, without sitting right next door to California, um, like Oregon is, I think what Utah, what Whittingham is able to do there counts for a lot. Um, And he, 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 this was the season that he solved and actually made a decent offensive coordinator hire to really sort of push that program forward. Number two, I am going to put Cristobal there. I think he's made smart hires. He's made really good use of his resources. It's not. It's one thing to have all the money behind you. It's another thing to use it well. Um, and I think he, you know, with the Moorhead hire this season, like that really impressed me. That was a really, really smart hire and use of his money. And I am. I am going to go out and do it. I'm going to put Jonathan Smith at number three. <laughs> I think, I think that they are going to be worse this year, and I think people sort of people are going to hold that against him. But he's returning almost nothing on offense. I think the Oregon State job is, you know, right there just above that Washington State job for how hard of a job it is in the conference. Um, I think that I think he's got the. I think he has demonstrated. You know, and he has a lot more upside than I think a lot of these other guys do. I think that and it's a I mean, frankly though, it's it's kind of a low bar <laughs> around the company. Yeah, too. Yeah, it's really like, sad. I think what but I think what Jonathan Smith, what he was left with from Gary Anderson was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Uh, and for him to have even been able to turn it to where they are after two years, and even if they take a step back this year, I think year after next, I think they're quite good. I mean, like quite good is like eight wins. Like, and that's a, that's an amazing turnaround.
2: Well, and you take a look at Oregon State's situation, right? Gary Anderson leaves, he gives them this money, but so they did have some money that was freed up. But man, yeah. they could have been just like Colorado, right? Where they're just trying, they're scrambling, yeah. they're trying to figure out who they they have to go and get some NFL guy that nobody, you know, um, and, and to come in and be able to get the offensive coordinator from Washington when Washington was rolling. That that was a hell of a hire. Now looking back, so um, and I don't know if it happened while we were starting this podcast. So uh, I'd like to go back and see if we had talked about that. But man, that's looking <laughs> like more and more of a really strong job. I would do like. I'm approaching it different from you, Rob. I'm a heavy as the head who wears the crown because when we take a look at USC and what's happening there and we take a look at programs that don't have their act together, like I was really skeptical on Cristobal coming into this year and he exceeded all of those expectations and has set a culture and has put people in place to make this program good for years if he stays. Um, and, and, And maybe he crashes and burns next year, but I don't see a situation where that happens and I just like how he's been able to really form this, program in his own image and put it at the the highest tier um not just in the pac 12 but they should be challenging nationally and um and that that's pretty impressive so i'd put him one i would put whittingham two, and then for me it's a mix between whether it's justin wilcox and um and smith i would put i would put wilcox three just because of the difficulty that he had at um at Cal, like that's a tough job, and he's been able to again instill. Like he made really smart hires too, and I was a bit skeptical when he came from there because I know USC fans weren't a big fan of his. But um, what he's been able to do at Cal is really strong. So I'll put him at three. Max, let's go to you. What are your next three uh, below your top? Your top Hold three on. here.
0: I cannot believe that neither of you guys have David Shaw in your top three. And I know, I know, in game he's definitely not the best, but what he's done at Stanford has been remarkable. But it's
2: a. What have you done for me lately, though? Right? No, like, no. I will,
1: <laughs> Stanford's I Stanford is a really. I think Stanford's a really hard job. I think it is. I think. I think people like years ago when before Harbaugh and Shaw, and now people are like Stanford's academics. It's an advantage. Like back then, people used to say Stanford. Stanford's academics were an immovable impediment to that job ever being. You know, anybody being successful, but. That said, like, I do think that Shaw, like, the wheels are starting to come off, and I don't think that he is – I don't think he's making good decisions. Like, and that is – like, that is harder to sort of – like, I'm uh, so I am grading him down – on that, I'm also like if I like if I'm grading Smith up on the future, like I'm grading Shaw down on the future because Fair. I don't think that his I don't think that it like what I look at what he's got going into this next year, like I'm just not confident in that coaching staff. Like beyond Dwayne Aquina, who I think does a really good job with those defensive backs, like yikes, like the rest of that coaching staff, particularly where they are on the offensive and defensive lines, just is not good.
2: Yeah, I would see yeah. putting him in the top three as like giving Martin Scorsese like you know, an award for the Irishman where it's like, well, you've there's, done there's a lot a of good stuff before. before. Yeah, exactly. That'd be, but that'd I mean, be a I better have, way. I've shot
0: by four, right? Well, like, because, that's where it happened. So I guess with rank with like for me, for ranking the coaches, it's, it's based off of past accomplished. Like what have they done with their the current team? Because if it's based off of in-game coaching, then for me, it's pretty clearly it's Whittingham one and, and Smith two. I think those two, two coaches by far with adjustments, with how they approach fourth downs. Like I think they are the best coaches in the, in the Pac 12, but I guess just like rank because, but I get it, It's kind of tough to rank coaches on in game just because there are so many coaches with good records that are absolutely horrendous. game. like James Franklin is atrocious game management. <laughs> um, and, and I, I feel like with, with even like Nick Saban, like he, he gets, um, conservative uh, one too many times. But I don't know. I, I guess for me, I'm just looking at the, I, I don't want to say the overall picture but just like how have they done uh, during their time at the school and yeah, I, for, I think Sean Whittingham at, at least for me are, are the one and two where I'm fine flip-flopping either one, but I think that in, in terms of accomplishments that those are the top two. And with crystal Ball, I mean I still have questions because Oregon's had some brutal collapses uh, in, his, in his two years there. And I feel like that they could even be better than what they were. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how he did, what happens this year with the new quarterback uh, situation. But I do think that he, he has nailed the hires. He does have the recruiting. He does have the look of a really strong coach. But I still do have some questions about his in-game um, decision-making.
2: Okay, who would be in that second tier for you? The next three.
0: So uh, I have Shaw, Woodingham, and Cristobal one through three. So then four through six, I'll, I'll go with the, the young up and riser, uh, up in comers. So I'll go with John Smith four, Justin Wilcox five, and then ooh, let me let me uh, think about the other. Options. <laughs> yeah, then it gets Wait,
2: then you're in a deep dark place after that. Yeah,
0: is it? Oh man, is it Herm?
2: I think it's Herm, right?
0: I think it I I mean unless you want like it's either Herm or Rolovich.
2: Well, we were unhooking them. I was kind of casting them aside because we don't quite know what we're getting in them okay. in the Pac twelve. Oh,
0: oh yeah, oh yeah, you're right. So yeah, if it's at least coaches with one yeah. I mean yeah, Hel- that, Helton that he has more accomplishments under his belt. So I guess it's a little contradictory to what I was saying before, but with Rob saying that he grades it on a curve, I'm grading it on a curve as well. I think that what Edwards has done is his first two seasons has been better than what I was expecting for Arizona State versus Helton. Helton, I, I think his his Rose Bowl year, like that exceeded expectations even though they still finished with three losses and were arguably like a top four most talented team in the country that year. But just that run that he had was was really impressive to end that year. But other than that, I just feel like USC has really coasted. So, yeah. No, I'm going Herm, Herm Edwards' six.
2: What about you,
1: Rob? I'm, I'm going to go Shaw's number four. Then I'll go Wilcox. And I at, at, <laughs> after that, I am going to put Clay Helton there at number six. Um, <clears throat> just because I actually – I think Clay Helton's made some really smart hires. And I say <laughs> – like he made some – He made some boneheaded ones, um, but I feel like he's learned a little bit. Uh, the Graham Harrell hire, I mean, he for I mean, you know, like he he had landed Cliff Kingsbury, which would have been an absolute home run.
2: And wait, wait, and, Harrell, and from reports, just to your point, he was I think he had Dave Miranda too, right? Uh, that was the yeah,
1: Dave Miranda lined up, and then Miranda got the Baylor job. So he had he had Miranda
2: and Cliff Kingsbury as his offensive of defensive coordinators. Like, what is the alternate universe where that happens in USC? Right, is like just where, where it?
1: like you know, where where Clay Helton is like a national champion in two years um the i would say like i, I thought the graham harrell hire like it seemed a little out of left field i wasn't as impressed with where harrell was it turned out to be a great hire um it really worked out for usc uh this past year i think todd orlando you know orlando is not i don't think he's necessarily like gangbusters great uh but i think he's an improvement over Pendergast. And that's the least you can add. I mean, that's, you know, like, it's, it's hard to find. Like, there are not that many great defensive coordinators running around out there. So Orlando at least has a chance to get them better than where they were. Um, Dante Williams is a great hire, you know, and could help. Uh, I don't think UCLA. I don't think USC was suffering from the recruiters being bad. I think he was. they were suffering from the uh, bag men giving up on Clay Helton. Yeah. But I think that <laughs> because it was basically the same guys that used to kill it in recruiting and suddenly were not. I think Helton, I, like he, he has underachieved. He has not. He is he has shown uh, promise, and that unlike David Shaw, who has like dug in on the, some of the bad hires, uh, Helton has made some changes. And that, I mean, at the very least, all you can ask is that people learn from their mistakes. So, like, I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's still the USC head coach. This is not like some ringing endorsement. Like, just read this. Is that. I don't think Herm Edwards has blown it out of the water yet. I think Chip Kelly is probably the worst coach in the PAC 12 right now. And Kevin, someone is like dead on his heels. Like <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> He's coming so for
0: you, I, Chip. I guess, my pro- <laughs> so it's I guess my problem with health. So he has made great hires, but he yeah. hasn't learned from his mistakes In that he keeps on being stubbornly loyal to assistant coaches that have, not shown anything. Like the fact that Pendergast and uh their special teams coordinator, John Baxter, were each brought back for this past season was astounding. Yeah, I know it's t- totally true. I mean like yeah. it's
1: that that was surprising uh that, that he be brought them back. However, like even like now that you mention it, like hiring Sean Snyder, who's a great special great. teams
0: coach, no, that, like, no, that was I mean, that like was that's great... like, <laughs> but it, like it, it why? is why it's like why was he doing that though? two years ago. I don't know. Like, but if you it,
1: like, I'm just, there's just, I can't take away from the fact that like, if you look at who won the off season in the Pac-12, 12, it is clearly Oregon with the Moorhead head higher. And, but even ahead of them is USC with not having Pendergast. Even if you don't love Orlando, he's not Pendergast. You have Schneider in there and they lured the best recruiter on the West coast and Dante Williams. Like, that's that's really good. Like that at least gets you like uh, like ahead of Herb Edwards. <laughs> like,
0: but I guess I guess for that though, that could also be USC having more money than the other Pac-12 programs. It's true. Finally, them starting to flex it, and that's not really a Helton thing. That's just an athletic department thing. And but sometimes shows... you do dumb things with money. Like money is yeah. like. And it's a... like. And it's like they have all this money, and they have T. Martin and Clancy Pendergast as the two coordinators. Yeah, that was so stupid.
2: Yeah, and yeah. So maybe, I guess it's always trying. To, you know, the market is forward-looking, right? It's, it'd be interesting to see where USC goes
0: from here. Um, let's yeah. talk some. I, I mean, I'm I'm, ex, I'm I'm excited for Clay Halton to go ten and No, no, and get but excited. I'm interested. <laughs> cause like,
1: who who do you guys think on that list? Like, is I my personal worst coach in the Pac-12? Because again, I'm grading on the on a curve a bit. Is Chip Kelly? Because you like you can slice it any way you want. Like Arizona is a worse job than UCLA. It is like it's a far no, worse I, job than UCLA. And Chip Kelly is delivering that basically the same results as Kevin Sumlin in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, and, and he had much higher expectations when he took the job than Sumlin yeah. did. and I, and I, I think that Arizona fans were still expecting what like a, a ceiling of eight and four, nine and three. That's eight eight
2: and four, seven and five, I think, with someone. Eight eight and four with better recruiting. I think that would be the, the other addition there.
0: I mean, Chip Kelly was expected to compete for pac twelve South titles in year two.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. and,
0: and, and, he, and he probably could have. If, if well, he took over far had, better talent than yeah. any of the coach other coaches that year. Yeah. So no, I, I'm I'm with you. Chip Kelly, worst Pac twelve coach. Wow. Wow. <laughs> have, uh, wow. And, he, and he's, speaking
1: of he's the the one coordinator that we sort of looked when we looked around last season, that was like, man, like, I mean, like if you were going to lump in like the the ugliest coordinators in the Pac-12, you know, you'd have, you know, Washington's O.C. You know, I wasn't in love with Arroyo at Oregon, but he wasn't terrible. Right. But like for where they wanted to be, he didn't fit. Pendergast, Yates at Arizona, Tyson, um, Baldwin at Cal. Yeah. But Azanaro kept his frickin' job as the defensive coordinator at UCLA. Like he's still
2: employed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous that he's still there. And
0: uh and like I'm just, I'm just I'm just glad that you can't win in the Pac twelve without giving a damn. That that that's one possible
2: about <laughs> the conference. That, that bar is so low. <laughs> <laughs> but like
1: I would also say if you look at where if like if there's a watch out for Colorado, we talk about like where like it's going to be re- like Arizona got put in this position with how late in the the recruiting cycle or in the in the coaching cycle, Rich Rodriguez got fired, and Kevin someone had to scramble to put together a staff, and it was a weird staff, to put it mildly. I mean he has like a defensive line coach was some like no name dude from like a junior college, um, and Marcel Yates was retained. This is like. Colorado is going – you you are really behind the eight ball um, having to put together a staff this late. Like, it is going to be tough.
2: Yeah. The one good thing is they do have a little bit more money to throw around, and they're probably going to have yeah. to overpay. They're going to, like, which like,
1: – They it, just overpaid for uh, – Carl Durrell, somebody just posted out as, like, the fourth – or, like, maybe it's the third highest paid coach in the Pac-12 or fourth highest paid coach <laughs> in the Pac-12 so right now. My God. So like
2: Carl Durrell. <laughs> 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 Oh man, it makes the covers fun to cover. Um, Hey, let's transition to basketball. Let's do it right after this.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment
2: All right, we're back. Finally talking basketball. I think the last three podcasts in a row, I said we were going to talk basketball and then we don't. So I apologize for that, for our hoop sets out there, but actually get into Pac-12 basketball and um, and raise your hand if you had Arizona State at the, you know, leaving the conference heading to the tournament. Anybody? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> but here they are 10 and four and followed by Oregon, Colorado, and UCLA all at 10 and five. Arizona in fifth place at nine and five. And then a bit of a drop-off with USC. Uh, at eight and seven. Actually, I'd lump them in with the upper echelon of the tier. Then you have the drop off Stanford at six and seven, Utah at six and nine, Washington state at five and nine, Cal at five and nine, Oregon state at five and 10 and Washington of all teams at a three and 12. Max, I'll start to you, man. Where do you want to start?
0: I'm sorry, You're lumping USC in with the top tiers of the Pac-12. <laughs> USC a- and, and Ken Palm is closer to Washington than they are any of those teams that you mentioned. (laughs)
2: Uh, That, that is fair. Uh, To be frank, I was just looking at, at, uh, you know, just total wins in conference, but yeah, USC, I think uh, when they pay play that elite conference uh, competition, they tend to uh, wallow away. Although that's not the case today when they lost to Utah.
0: True, but I will start with the other team in Los Angeles. And I would say arguably the hottest team in the Pac-12 right now. UCLA – it's either them or Arizona State. But – and you know No, actually, I'll give it to Arizona State because they beat UCLA by 18 at home. But UCLA had, I think, Jalen Hill out for that game. But still, shouldn't have lost by 18. But UCLA, the second hottest team in the Pac-12 right now with road wins at Arizona – and they just pulled off the mountain road sweep of Utah and Colorado. And they swept Colorado this Pac twelve season. And I'll admit I I made fun of the McCron and higher, but what UCLA right now is doing is really impressive. And they're a team that no one really wants to face uh, in the in the Pac-Twelve tournament. And especially because they play a relatively unique style compared to the rest of the conference, and that they really want to grind you down. Like a Colorado same deal, but I think UCLA more so in that they are monsters on the glass. Like they are first in Pac-12 play in offensive rebounding. They, uh, they get, uh, second chances on 33.3% of their misses per Ken Palm. And what's really, it's, it's, it's weird that with this micron team that it's been UCLA's offense that's been carrying this team over their defense, though. The defense has been playing better of late. They held Washington to 57. Utah to 58 and Colorado to 63 and granted uh, points isn't always the best measure. Usually points per possession is the better metric for that. But in all of those, I mean, it's just been really impressive overall for UCLA. And I mean, Cronin did inherit some talent, but definitely not one of the strongest teams uh, in terms of recruiting. But I mean, with uh, a couple of freshmen and Tiger Campbell who missed all of last season with a torn ACL, uh, Jaime Jquez, uh at forward, and then they have some bigs. But yeah, just really uh, uh, quite a turnaround by UCLA, a UCLA team that lost at home to Cal State Fullerton and Hofstra in non-conference play, and now they're they're winning on the road at Colorado and at Arizona.
2: No, it's been really interesting to see them make the move, and like you mentioned, that win over the Mountain schools on the road. There's always that tricky. and you know this, Max, as you bet on Pac-12 basketball. One of those, one of those games, whether it's the first one or last one, is either a look-ahead game or a letdown game almost every time. Right? Um, you go in saying, "Oh my goodness, we," you know, our second game of this the stretch is at Colorado. We really have to get up for this. And all of a sudden Utah gets hot and smacks you in the mouth and ends up winning that game. Or you beat Colorado going in and your team's hyped up. And then you play Utah who ends up getting like crazy town and like, and just draining threes. And it's a letdown game. And that did not happen for this UCLA team. And I think that is a testament to uh, Cronin's ability to actually add some focus. I was laughing Rob, when the story came out that he wasn't letting the UCLA, UCLA players wear the UCLA. You can't wear these jerseys until you earn it you know all those like stupid locker room things that these coaches try to do and you know i'm just envisioning the mick cronin that i'm used to like you know just yelling at these people that are like four feet taller than he is um and trying to instill discipline but he did it yeah i mean it took time to buy in but it worked
1: right like it it definitely took time for to for him to find players that were you know willing to to step in and and play the way he wanted and um that it, to his credit, he's, you know, molded the, the guys that are invested and that are playing into the team that he, you know, can be fairly proud of at this point. Like in UCLA, I think they are the hottest team in the conference right now. Like they're just streaking um, and they could you know, like they could. They're, they're the kind of team right now that I don't think anybody would want to face in the Pac-12 tournament.
2: And it's really interesting because they have the last three games of their schedule are incredibly crucial. They have ASU and Arizona at home, and then they are at USC. And look, I understand like the Galen Center isn't, you know, <laughs> isn't Lambeau Field, but still to to go on the road. And then you have the two Arizona teams coming in. Um, I'm curious, Max, how do you think they're going to do in those last three games, and where you think they're going to end up as a seed in the tournament?
0: It, oh, in the Pac-12 tournament. So this is actually a really interesting Pac-12 tournament because it's a five-team race for the four buys. And the fifth seed actually it could have some trouble because Washington is two games behind everyone, uh, so they're they're pretty much locked into the 12 seed, and they could get a quad A greenback. So, depending on the fifth seed, you could see the 12 seed favored over the five seed. Like if it's if it's Washington, UCLA, or Washington Arizona State, Washington is ranked higher than both of those teams on Ken Palm, despite their three and 12 Pac 12 uh, record. So that would be fascinating. But if it's Arizona versus Washington, I mean, unless Sean Miller is trying to get fired, I don't think that you'll see a problem in that five, 12 game. But with UCLA, I think that so their final three games are Arizona state, Arizona USC. Yeah. I I think they can go two and one in that stretch.
2: Mm. And that puts them in a real good
0: spot. Yeah. And I don't know about their NCAA tournament hopes just because they have a couple bad losses. And I would, the team that's really similar to them on the East Coast is Providence in the Big East. Just because Providence uh, in non-conference, they had some really embarrassing losses, like they lost uh, to Ken Palm's 296-rated uh, team, 100 uh, in Long Beach State, uh, 165 Charleston, 149 Penn, 133 Northwestern. But now in Big East play, they're nine and six, including wins over. Uh, Creighton, Butler, Seton Hall, and Marquette. And those are four NCAA tournament teams. So it's interesting. it'll be interesting to see whether the committee, because they, they used to do this in the past, where they would favor how a team has performed in the final month, month and a half of this regular season, but they don't really do that anymore since they felt that it didn't really lend credence to the non-conference part of the schedule. But yeah, I, I think if UCLA can win two of those last three games, and make it to the Pac-12 tournament title game, I think that they have a a pretty strong case uh, for an at-large bid, especially if USC and Stanford continue to wilter.
2: It'd be nice if the Pac-12 got five teams in. I also think that if they get five teams in... (laughs) I've already set my expectations that they're all out by the by the second you know second round. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see whether or not Arizona State and Colorado like I think I think Oregon certainly has uh, the potential to make it to the Sweet Sixteen. You know, if, out of the five teams here, Max, ASU, Oregon, Colorado, UCLA, Arizona, who do you think have the best uh, not not the best um, talent to get to the Sweet Sixteen, but the mo- most realistic shot to get to the Sweet Sixteen?
0: Uh, so usually. Um, teams that go far in March, like at least in terms of, of uh, Ken Palm rankings, like you typically want to have a top 25 adjusted offensive efficiency and top 25 adjusted defensive efficiency, and so basically uh, combine like the two and and say like that you ha- that you're ranked 50 for both of them combined, and the only Pac-12 team that falls under that criteria is Arizona where they are 16th in offensive uh, efficiency and 21st in adjusted defensive efficiency. And I know that this is going to be tr- uh, tough, especially given the Arizona fans on the podcast ready to scream. But Sean Miller underachieves in March. I mean, just like uh, uh, last year, like Tony Bennett was considered the, the major underachiever in March before his run. All you need is one run. And Arizona, granted, they, they've really struggled closing games and I think that that will be this team's undoing when they it, it, when or if they do lose in March but they just they have a lot of nice pieces I think the fact that they're so balanced really uh, should benefit them and Oregon I mean Oregon is obviously the popular pick just because Dana Altman Peyton Pritchard hard to top that combination but their defense is ranked 72nd which is really and, and Oregon's defense has been really really bad in Pac-12 play and in uh in non-conference play Oregon was actually ranked as the top 3 point shooting team in the country and so that's probably why they were better than their or that they were worse than their record was and then with three point regression they've definitely come back to earth uh in Pac-12 play and they they've really struggled on the road in Pac-12 play so i i think with Oregon, though, they don't really have a great interior presence as well, just because Nafali Dante has been hurt, and it's really just been Francis Okoro and Shakira Justin. But, yeah, I, like, I'll, I'll go Arizona just because I'll, I'll buy the metrics. But, yeah, I, I, it's, it's just hard to trust Oregon's defense, uh, even though they have the best coach in the conference and the best player
2: what do you think about Colorado, Max? It's a team that has been performing fairly well. They're always well-coached, and I think they have a coherent unit that I always like when you're headed into uh, the tournament but not quite there with the advanced metrics.
0: Yeah, and Colorado, I just think with the Tad Boyle team, it, it's it's tough for favorites just because with Tad Boyle, like he wants to jump things up and slow things down. And so that can definitely lead to closer games with worse competition, especially if Colorado has an off shooting night. Um, They've been really fortunate in the Pac-12. So they've actually been the top three-point shooting team in the Pac-12. But when their outside shot uh, has difficulty falling, they're definitely vulnerable. I mean, they've lost to Oregon State, and, and they've gotten swept by UCLA. And they lost to, and granted, this team is probably making the tournament, but still a mid-major, they lost to Northern Iowa at home. So I, I, Colorado I was much higher on uh, in the preseason than I felt most of uh, like the national publications were just because I really liked their returning talent. And I thought Colorado was going to win the Pac-12 regular season, but I just don't think that their ceiling is as high as Arizona or Oregon, just because of Tad Boyle and the style of play that, uh, he prefers.
2: Rob, can you tell us what the deal is with Arizona?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The deal is that uh, they are not very consistent and that they absolutely, absolutely. like. And I don't know that there's a kind way to put this. Like when you watch Arizona in close games, you do not get the feeling that like Arizona has an advantage on the sidelines. Because I I think a better coach would have Arizona at a better position, and I think what you what you often see there is like Arizona that like Arizona is it a, is a, an impressive team in the metrics, and the metrics are built off of um, per possession you know performance, and if you pile up a lot of possessions, like for the most part Arizona played as well. Um, I would say though that like. Arizona down the stretch when it's important, when you're getting sort of um, you know, the best out of, you know, Dana Altman uh, what he can throw at you. You are not really seeing that out of Sean Miller and that the, the losses that they've had this season, like Arizona, it's tough because Arizona, Arizona doesn't have a lot of signature wins, but they've managed to make themselves a signature win for a lot of teams. Um, you know, on their resumes and that like Oregon twice, um, you know, ASU coming back and just taking them apart, uh, you know, uh, in Tempe, uh, you have UCLA beating them. I mean, just, just an ugly, ugly look. And for it, it's tough. It makes it tough for Arizona because you, they need, they are likely going to be relative to their metrics underseeded uh, in the NCAA tournament. Um, because of those bad losses that they've had, or you know those those losses that they've had. Not all of them are bad losses, but you know the losses that they've had, um, and that means that you're going to be facing a tougher first round game. Um, you win that, you're probably going to have an even tougher. You're going to have another tougher second round game. I mean, before you get to the point where you only have good teams left, so they might need a little luck uh, to get to the Sweet 16 um, because they might end up, you know, with some some pretty tough draws.
2: And they're soft. Like it's just a soft team. Uh, yeah. And and we saw this, I think it was two years ago, where uh, that team with DeAndre Aiden went into the tournament, and they had an awesome Pac-12 tournament and came in with a lot of momentum. But one of the things that, that at least we were saying at Wildcat Radio was that that, that team could get punched in the mouth and in that first round, in that second round, when you get those teams that um, have grit and can just push you around uh, the interesting thing that was like Buffalo didn't strike me as that type of team. They were, they looked like ASU actually and, and Arizona had handled ASU quite uh, aptly at that point. But man, like the Buffalo came out and just stomped on Arizona in the first five minutes and the game was over. Like the, the, the team yeah. just fell and, that that feels a little bit like this team coming into this year's tournament, where the talent's there, but man, if they get one of those those teams that's pressing them on defense, that's well coached, like that that's a, that's a team that could fall pretty quickly in the tournament. But hope not. It would be nice to have a number of teams in the Sweet Sixteen. Um,
1: Miller still doesn't seem, despite the fact that he has a number of fairly good shooters that mostly spend their time on the bench, he hasn't really figured out how to integrate that into this this team. And like down the stretch, this is. You know, like they they put up some fairly impressive shooting numbers earlier on. And if they're on, they're on. But they, uh, you know, like they're, you know, like they're in that Oregon game. Like they didn't shoot the ball particularly well um, from three. And that, that I think hurts. Like they're, they're, they're not a team that's going to be able to lean on the three pointer. uh, Like a lot of modern offenses do.
2: Max, I want to get to a question that we got from Secret Spy seventy three, and his name is David. Who's been great, really fun talking gambling with him. He asks if you talk hoops, maybe if you can explain why the net rankings has Oregon behind Colorado and Arizona, even though Oregon has beaten Arizona twice in Colorado, and Oregon is a five and one team against top twenty five programs, where Arizona is one and four. I think some of this gets into the advanced metrics like we just mentioned, but I'm curious what you think.
0: Yeah. And I think with net, it's a a lot of it is, or not a lot, but some of it is also looking at the differential of some of these games and Oregon doesn't have many blowouts. In fact, really in the beginning part of, of their PAC 12 slate, they were really fortunate to win the games that they did. Like they beat Arizona, Washington in overtime. They beat USC in double overtime. Uh, They beat Utah and Cal by five points apiece like they played a lot. And I mean, they just won by one point against Arizona in overtime. Like they have played a lot of close games and overtime games. And so with the net, like the net is more impressed with uh, bigger, you know, with bigger blowouts and Colorado and Arizona have definitely had more of those. And then also with the net, it's really valuable to get um, road wins and, and, have impressive showings on the road and Airs like Arizona has two Pac12 uh road sweeps which is the most in the conference and I think the same amount as every other team in the conference combined because Arizona State has one and UCLA has one and so Arizona on the road it has been impressive at least of late uh I <laughs> really ever since the Oregon State debacle in Corvallis so uh, but I, like I'm not I don't know all the components of the net, but that would be my, my guess for why Oregon is ranked so low. Because, I mean, Arizona uh, and or, and Colorado, I know Arizona for sure is ranked above Oregon and Kempom. And yeah, okay, so Oregon is 23 and Colorado is 24 and Kempom. So basically uh, those two teams are equal versus Arizona is eight spots up from them. But uh, Oregon, they, just, they haven't looked as impressive in Pac-12 play I I think a lot of it really is the three-point regression because when they were shooting the three at the best mark in the country, then yeah, they they were going to win a lot of those games and a lot of them came against good teams. But now that the three-point shooting, especially Anthony Mathis, uh, has been, I guess, regressing more toward a more average uh, outside shooting mark, it's been a lot of close games and a lot of fortunate wins for Oregon who I think... Very fortunate to be at the top of the Pac-12 standings, where they definitely could have lost a couple of those games.
2: Yeah, I want to ask you about the best. You want know, to save it for last, and that's ASU. But one, one thing that I, want I would, to hy- oh,
1: sorry, I would also say is like people over and model, like people overestimate head-to-head. Um, oh, agree. As a, yeah. as a way of ranking teams, like in <laughs> this happens, in, like in college football, in college basketball, any, anywhere, like you're taking one matchup, which could have, you know, some factor that really favors one team. And then you're adding, it's a small sample size, right? Like, so always look at the larger sample, um, head to head, head to head could tell you like, can tell you very limited things if it's some, very often Arizona is probably like Arizona is a, a head of Oregon based on the weight of its schedule, which is a lot more data than just those, uh, those head to head matchups though, so, as it should, it should give you some pause though. Like it should tell you something about Arizona's inconsistently like arid, like the metrics like Arizona is a good, but wildly inconsistent team.
2: Yeah. The one thing I want to add there too, is that Arizona, there were three games where the margin of defeat was very thin, but it shouldn't have been. I think the first one was when Gonzaga came to Arizona and Gonzaga was up by 17 with like two and a half minutes left, or maybe it was three and Arizona, kept playing and Gonzaga just gave up like <laughs> they're like we we have this we're done and Arizona got you know, there was like some fluky fouls and some free throw shooting and Arizona got to within 2 or like something like that before the Zags pulled away a little bit more but I'm sure that helped them in the advanced metrics because Gonzaga is one of the best teams in the country but that game was over um and and you could just tell that the Zags had packed it up There are other ones where they were playing Baylor and Baylor's one of the best teams in the country and Arizona went in there. But that game, like if you watched it, Baylor won that game and they they, like in the last three minutes the game was over. But Arizona kept it close enough where I'm sure it helped them and then also the Saint Johns game where Saint John's was um was in control of that game, and Arizona kept it close, but weren't able to uh, really get over the hump. And I'm sure that's helped with the metrics too. So, just something to keep in mind on that front. Um, Max, last question are here: we sure,
0: Are we hmm? are we are we sure that Baylor is a good team because they're 0 1 against Washington versus the Pac 12 is 12 and 3 against Washington?
2: <laughs> the quad A Green was <laughs> there. Yeah, give that. I know. That a. <laughs> I know. Is it, isn't
0: it? It not it its kind of incredible, though, how much Quad A Green has meant to this team. Like, I, I don't think wa- – Washington has been really unfortunate this year with the amount of close losses that they've had in catch play, especially since Green's uh, ineligibility uh, factored in. But, yeah, one player shouldn't mean this much, especially with all the talent they have. And I know that bagging on Sean Miller is fun, but, man, Mike Hopkins has gone full Lorenzo Romar this year.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, Hey, let's talk ASU here, Max, because a lot of uh, our listeners, I'm sure, are following their teams, but they aren't following every team. And ASU sits at the top of the Pac-12. They have an impressive run that they've been going on. What is it about them that people should know about, and what do you think their chances are in the NCAA tournament?
0: So what's interesting is that Arizona State, they haven't really excelled in that many areas in Pac-12 play. Like, they're sick uh, in conference play. They're six in offensive adjusted efficiency. They're six in defensive adjusted efficiency. So pretty average there. Uh, the two categories that they've been really good at, one, one is luck and the other is skill. So they are second in forcing turnovers at, on 21.3% of uh, possessions. And so just limiting the amount of uh, opponents' possessions will really go a long way. Especially because Arizona State themselves, they're middle of the pack in turnover rate on offense at 19%. So I just think that getting all those additional extra possessions has helped a lot. But I think one area which is screaming regression here for ASU is that they have the best free throw defense in the, in the conference. Opponents are only shooting 68.1% from the line, and that's the top, or that's the best quote unquote free throw defense. And so with Arizona state, they've won a lot of close games and like, I mean, just looking at, at their uh, recent streak. So the first game was Utah by 19 fine. And they also have a win over um, UCLA by 18. And that was with aforementioned Bruins injuries. That's fine too. But the wins Arizona uh, they won by one point where Arizona completely collapsed Uh, They beat Washington by four. They beat USC by two, where USC absolutely collapsed. They beat Stanford by five, and I believe that was without Oscar Oscar De Silva, but I could be – yeah, it was without Oscar De Silva, Uh, their best post player. Uh, They beat Cal by five. They beat Oregon by five. They beat Oregon State by one. So, again, it's a lot of close wins, and so that – and that's why their uh, Ken Palm ranking, it's actually – it's just two spots ahead of Washington – and they're and they're at the bottom of, and they're at the cellar in the Pac-12 standings, and so I'm not really convinced with Arizona State overall. And this is actually a team that I'm going to be looking to fade uh, again, uh, really uh, against starting against UCLA on Thursday because I, I just don't think that they're nearly as good as their conference record suggests, even though they do have some really nice pieces. Like, I mean, Remy Martin's one of the best point guards in the conference. Uh, ever since they've uh, had Alonzo Verge coming off the bench, he's definitely given them really nice scoring output. And Rob Edwards, uh, who they put in the starting lineup, he's a sharpshooter. And then also having uh, Romello White down low, he he's a, he's a man-child for sure. But I just think looking at the numbers, uh, and especially with the Arizona and USC comebacks, I, I don't think that Arizona State is first place in the Pac-12 good. I, I think that they... I think that they're like maybe like I, I before the season, I had them fifth place. And I would say that right now I'd probably have them. I think that they're worse than the big three in Arizona, Colorado and Oregon. So I would have them four and five um, right now, I would say.
2: okay well, still getting it done. And I'm sure ASE fans are excited that they don't have to sweat out at least for right now, they don't have to sweat out the, uh, <laughs> the selection Sunday show where it looks like they're really into the tournament. It'd be nice to get that fifth team in, whether it's UCLA or um, whoever, whoever it may be. But um, let's, let's end Are it they there. Going to Dayton
1: though. Don't they, don't they normally go to Dayton?
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like they, this time, I think they're actually <laughs> going to go to wherever. About
0: Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Hurley made a deal with the devil that they somehow get into the NCAA tournament every year, but they don't advance to the round of 32.
2: We shall see. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here, guys. Thanks for coming on. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't left a review for the podcast, please do. That's the biggest thing you can do to help. Uh, you know, we're doing free shows and free stuff, so want to make sure. And by the way, we will announce our contest winner next week. Uh, nobody picked Carl Durrell, of course, uh, our contest for who the CU coach will be. But I'll take a look at the people's uh, everybody's contract details to see if anybody got close. If somebody did, I'll make sure to send uh, that awesome whiskey glass your way. Guys, thank you for coming on. Max, anything to plug on your end? Uh,
0: Well, I I guess this past week I've been starting to write on William Hill, so we started uh, a new blog where I will be writing on basically who's betting what. So, like, uh, this past week we did the boxing match between Wilder and Fury. We looked at XFL odds. Uh, Friday I'll be looking at college basketball futures to see, like, which teams uh, have had the highest percentage of uh, championship bets and and uh, and money wagered and so it's just really interesting to have all this information and data to see basically who, who, who um what bettors are thinking and how they're approaching uh each of their bets so yeah i i it's definitely a change of pace from what i was doing at sports illustrated which it was more picks based content but actually getting an inside look at what at basically everyone else is thinking versus just one person, I, I think is really interesting.
2: Nice. And what's the, what's the blog website?
0: So the blog, it's funny. So we don't have a direct URL for the blog yet, just because they want to populate it with more content, ah. but I'll be, I'll be tweeting out. Like I've tweeted out a couple of the articles on my Twitter account and you can follow me at the Max Meyer and and William Hill uh, at William Hill U I uh, Capital U Capital S uh, they tweet out all the articles as well, so you can check them out there.
2: Right on, Rob. What's going on on your end?
1: Lots of new stuff. Um, I uh, released a revision to Beta Rank last night, so. Um, I've been tinkering around working on this tempo. I'm working on putting together an article on uh, the sort of the fallacy that uh, an up-tempo offense wears at your defense. And, uh, in doing so, I found some things that I made from,
0: better. that was from the USC podcast.
1: I know. I mean, well, I like, I, I ended up down a rabbit hole. What can I say? Like, there's a lot of data. <laughs> so like I do, I do have, like, I have discovered that like, yeah, like it doesn't matter. Like tempo is not wearing out your defense. Like, but I also found some things that made better, a better model and more predictive. Um, so I released those and how I measure model improvement is, is two ways. Over nine years worth of data, I measure it on... Um, how many winners BetaRank predicts? So I had been sitting around, uh, and this is sort of backward looking. Um, so in a backward looking fit, you know, BetaRank would pick, you know, looking back with all the data, the the better ranked team in BetaRank would win like seventy nine point six percent of the time, and I had the devil of a time getting over eighty percent. And I'm now over eighty percent. I'm at uh, eighty point one, so that's a plus um, there. But there's a significant gain in spread of efficiency uh so that's a plus so like a, a big time gain um in the mean squared error for spread efficiency so beta rank is better um the main difference though is that like very very good teams um <clears throat> look even better <laughs> than they had before because i'm handling garbage time a little even you know a little like before, i handle it differently than uh other folks do i keep it in um now i'm also uh explicitly controlling for um garbage time in in there as well as having a waiting in. Um, um so if you go back and look like LSU is look you know has an even higher beta rank than they did from before, but um, it actually like all the data, like if you go through and look like beta rank's predicted spreads versus you know the what the beta rank would have predicted the the score would have been for the game for what the actual like it's it's really close. So um yeah I'm I'm pretty happy with where it uh, it turned out. So I will I, I may like I, this stuff happens to me like lightning. I'll be like, Oh yeah. Like what if I tried this? And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, more often than not at these days, it doesn't work, but uh, yeah, so I, so I, these, these happen spontaneously. I don't have like a regular beta rank update on it. So um, yeah, but if you go back and look like things have changed, this also backdates prior year numbers. Um, so you may want to go back and look like if like for example also if your team was involved in a lot of garbage time on the negative end they may look a little worse um, so like Arizona's offense fell a couple spots for example because they put up a lot of points in games they were way behind on so yeah that, there's that, uh, the Sharp college football conference is still happening June 13th and 14th in Cincinnati sign up. Um, I'm about to announce, we've got one of the data scientists at pro football focus is going to give a talk. Um, I've got a really good roster of speakers, so check it out. Um, it's only $176, which is extremely cheap for a conference that gets you lunch on the, the 13th and a, a t-shirt. So
2: nice. Well, cool. Well, looking forward to that and, um, and looking forward to seeing those numbers on the new model. Um, thanks, guys, for joining. And we will catch everybody next week.